This is the V1 Church Podcast, your lead pastor, Mike Signorelli, with such an important sermon. I wanna take you through the scriptures. We're gonna be spending a lot of time in the book of Genesis, and I wanna teach you a Hebrew word that is a very prophetic word for you right now. As a matter of fact, this sermon is going to confirm so many things that God has probably already been telling you. So make sure you listen all the way to the end where I have a special message at the end. Can we just welcome everybody who's watching live right now? Come on, let's put our hands together here in the room. Come on, if you're at a watch party right now and this is your first time, we want to welcome you. Uh, Drop a comment right now and let us know where you are watching from because wherever you are, you are V1 family. My name is Mike Signorelli. I'm the lead pastor here at V1 Global. And I am so excited to bring a message where you are going to learn why you were fought so hard why you almost didn't make it to this broadcast or to a watch party or to a Bible study location right now where somebody invited you into your home or into their home. And you're gonna see, I believe you're gonna see why you were fought. I believe that God's gonna do something in this service that he couldn't do any other way. Hey, I I broadcast all week long. And if you're watching from that broadcast, welcome to church. You know, the church is irreplaceable. Does anyone believe that? And what is happening right now, even if it's streaming to your your living room, even if it's streaming on a television, is so important. Forsake not the gathering. It's okay if the gathering happens digitally. Am I right? But I don't want to waste any time with this message because I always feel like my sermons are important because I don't ask, what do I want to teach? I said, hey, God, you're there, Dad. What do you want to say to your children that they may not have been listening to? Or what do you want to use this house, V1 Church, to to speak to all of your children? But even though every message is important, I feel an unusual gravity to this message right now. I, I feel an unusual weight of importance to this message right now. As always, you can open up the V1 Church mobile app and you can find my notes directly, the same ones that I use to preach, so that you can follow along and fill in with what the Holy Spirit is dialoguing with. But I also would like for you to hear with your spiritual ears the things that your natural ears cannot hear. Because there's different levels of listening and there are some times where somebody could be in the room, you know, my wife was, the other day we were at uh, a restaurant and they read the specials. We don't go to restaurants often where they actually read the specials to you, you know, like, cause that's a next level restaurant. But as they were reading the specials, my wife was like, I don't know why, but as soon as they start talking, I stop listening to the specials. Anybody else? There's different levels of listening. And see, it's because you've already started to look at the menu and you're like, I know what I want to order, so I don't care what you have to say. If you come to V1 Church saying, well, I'm only gonna study in the Bible what I want to study, you could be missing the special that God's got for you right now. Because he uses your pastor to to take you on a journey. So go to Genesis chapter 8, verse 1. We're actually going to be spending a significant amount of our time in the book of Genesis today. Because there's something so profound that I want to unlock for you. And I've got to take you on a journey through Scripture, primarily the book of Genesis, which is not the oldest book of the Bible, although it's the first. There's something in here in the Hebrew language 
that's gotten lost in translation that your heavenly father wants to say to you. So go to Genesis chapter eight, verse one. I'm gonna teach you a word today. Here's the word. And I love teaching words. You know, I have kids and I remember uh, teaching them different, different words as they were. Actually, both of them, their first word was da-da. You know how it is, Jules. Da-da. You know, like she's the one changing all the diapers and feeding them around the clock. And then, of course, their first word is daddy. And I'm like, <laughs> But I like teaching words because when you unlock a word, when you unravel a word, there's such a richness to it. There's such a significance. And so this Hebrew word that I want to teach you, the way that you say it, and I want you to try it right now, is zahar. You want to try it? Zahar. <laughs> you got to get a ch in there. Don't you feel holier when you say a zahar? And this is the word for remember. This is the word for remember. Type in the chat right now, remember, remember, remember. In the Old Testament, to zahar is not merely to rifle through the files of your mind and to find some data point. But it's, it's actually different to remember the way that God remembers is a full body experienced. To zakhar is to employ your hands and your feet and your lips to engage in whatever action that that remembrance requires. Do I have some note takers here? Biblical remembering is a whole body activity, not merely a head activity. You know, my daughters love when I tell stories about my past and my childhood and different things I did when I was growing up. And we share stories all the time. And my six-year-old Everly, she has one story in particular that she's like, Dad, you know, can you tell the story about when you dug the hole? And that's this every day now. Can you tell the story when you dug the hole? And so the other day, she asked me again, Dad, will you tell that story? And it was funny because I was probably eight or nine years old, and I heard a family member tell me, because I was in the backyard digging around and playing in the dirt, they said, hey, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll go to China. And I remember at eight or nine years old, I was like, so you're telling me there's a way out? <laughs> And because I hated my home, I hated where I lived. And I took that phrase literally. And I was like, so wait a second, if I dig this hole deep enough, I'll, I'll end up in China. And, and they were like, yeah, yeah, if you dig a hole deep enough, you'll go to China. And I was like, I'm out of here. I'm out. <laughs> I'm like, I have found my way out of the hood. So at, I'm not kidding. At eight or nine years old, I started to dig a hole in my backyard without anybody knowing this. And I actually got it to the point where it was over my head, which as I got older, I realized like I could have died. It could have collapsed on me. And I was covering it up with different things to try to, and, but I was on a mission because I'm like, I'm pretty sure that what little I know about China is so much better than where I live. And the thing that, that, that story is so enthralling to my six-year-old because I took a phrase that was not literal and I physically acted on it in a literal way. And that is hilarious to a six-year-old. I put action to words. And so when that family member said, yeah, if you dig the hole deep enough, you'll end up in China, they were joking. But I put a physical action behind the words. And when I did that, it was funny to my six-year-old. In order to understand biblical remembrance, 
you have to think about being literal about the remembering and attaching an action to something we say we do. So when we say, I remember, we're talking about we pulled up a memory in our mind. When God says, I remember, it means that he is literally moving on your behalf in that moment and acting on the thing that he promised you. Oh, I wish you would help me preach today. I'm just getting started. When God remembers, it's different than how we remember. You know, growing up, my mom had five kids, single mom with five kids. And I can tell you, an event that happened more frequently than not was us driving away in our minivan from church, getting all the way home and being like, where is Sammy? We left him at church. And so my mother, when she remembered She loaded us all back and she drove us back and she grabbed my brother who was traumatized sitting on the steps of the church thinking like, I made my family disappear. But see, for a mother, when you say you remember, to remember your child is lost means that you are going to do anything and everything you can to find them. Can I just tell you, God has not forgotten you. You have been remembered. And he's connecting that. Let me read something to you, because this is just going to blow your mind today. Zahar. For instance, when God remembered Noah and his floating zoo that we call the ark, this is what the scripture says in Genesis 8.1. It says, he made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. So he's being, he's being obedient to what God said and God says, I remembered, watch. But God remembered Noah. He zahared. He remembered Noah and all the beasts and all the livestock that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the water subsided. The Jewish scholar Nahum Sarna comments, he says this, in the Bible, remembering, particularly on the part of God, is not the retention or recollection of mental image, but a focusing upon the object of memory that results in the action. So in other words, to remember someone else is to forget about yourself in that moment. My mother had no other agenda but to find my brother Sam when she remembered that he was lost. To remember Sam caused Sandra to forget about herself in that moment. And we don't remember like that, but God, he, he remembers us. And when he remembers, he shifts the focus to you wherever you're at to meet you in that place. In other words, God remembered Noah by doing something, by sending the saving flood-drying wind. And I hear a wind in the spirit right now, a fresh wind that God is saying, I have remembered my people and I'm sending a wind to cause the waters to reside. Let me give you a biblical definition of remembrance, a divine act of mercy. Biblical remembrance is a divine act of mercy. I want you to think about Joseph. When he interpreted the dreams of Pharaoh's cupbearer, he begged him, only Zahar, only remember me when it is well with you and please do me the kindness 
to Zacher, to remember me to Pharaoh. And so get me out of this house. That's Genesis chapter 40, verse 15. He wasn't saying, hey, cupbearer, I interpreted these dreams for you. And when, and when you get in front of Pharaoh, can you just remember me? Can you just, can you just go back to the recesses of your mind and pull up that time I interpreted? What he was actually saying was, will you have a moment of mercy where you present me before Pharaoh so that my situation changes. Because you better believe that the cupbearer, when he was in front of Pharaoh, had at the forefront of his mind the moments he had with this Jewish dream interpreting young man named Joseph. It's not like he forgot in the way that we forget. It means that his forgetting was a form of neglect concerning Joseph's destiny. See, there's some people in your life that haven't forgotten you have existed. They just pretend like they forgot and that for, forgetting becomes a neglect to your destiny. There's some people that you're hoping desperately will remember you, but I want to tell you today that God has remembered you. He remembered that time that you tithed your finances and didn't have anything left in your bank account, and we're trusting that when he said in the book that you can test him in all ways, that you can test him in that way specifically, that it was good. And, and God is saying, I remember you. I remember that time that you fasted and didn't seem to get the answer to your fasting but I remember you now. And although God's remembering may seem like it's delayed, his remembering is always on time. Most English translations render, remember me to Pharaoh as to mention me. Shame on those biblical interpretations robbing us of the richness of the text. In Hebrew, what he was saying wasn't mention me to Pharaoh. He was saying, open up a portal to mercy so that the favor of God releases me out of this prison and the dream I had a long time ago is fulfilled. See, some of you are Joseph still sitting in prison saying, is God gonna remember? Is God gonna remember? Joseph expected more from the cupbearer than pleasant recollections of the Israelite from the prison. He wanted Pharaoh's servant to do him kindness. See, and although this cupbearer drug his feet for many years, actually it was two years total, it's a long time, he finally did that which he promised he would do. And Joseph, although he felt delayed for two years, was not denied the dream that God gave him. Remembrance, remembrance, remembrance. Guys, I wanna just be honest with you. If you're watching this broadcast right now, I'm hoping that God gets this word to you in the same capacity that he gave it to me because there's some praying mothers who have been like, did God hear me? I've done right when nobody was looking. I had integrity when nobody knew it. Come on, did God remember my prayers? There's something that's stirring inside of me because I was preparing for this sermon and I just kept hearing God emphatically say, I I remembered my people. I remember my people. I am remembering my people. And I kept hearing him say that so, and so emphatically and with such a desperation in my spirit. I begin to research, which is how I got this sermon now. Genesis chapter 9 verse 15 says, when the Lord sees the rainbow and remembers his covenant, 
He actively prevents a cosmic flood from reoccurring. So every single time he sees a rainbow, he does it. he's not reminded, he remembers, it's different. He says, I am actively going to fulfill my word again and again and again every time I see a rainbow. When he remembered Abraham, he sent, watch this, this is Genesis chapter 19, verse 29. He sent Lot out of the midst of the overthrow of Sodom and Gomorrah. Why? Because it says, when he remembered Abraham. See, when God remembered Abraham, his remembrance actually caused a split to happen. And he said, You've got to, I've got to remove Lot from your life because sometimes the only way God can bless you is to take the leech off of your skin. Sometimes God's got to actually remove the blood sucker so that you can receive a refreshing. You get what I'm saying? And he was saying, I remember Abraham, so I'm going to send Lot out of the midst to overthrow him. When he remembered Rachel, Rachel in Genesis chapter 30, verse 22, it says, he opened up her womb. He remembered Zahar. I remember Rachel. And because I remember her, I'm opening up her womb. It wasn't just like, oh yeah, I remember that girl, Rachel, who's praying for a miracle in her womb. The act of remembrance is always connected with mercy. Biblical remembering is a body activity, not a head activity for God. Likewise, to forget is to not act. And so when the, when the psalmist begins to complain, has God forgotten to be gracious? He isn't asking Yahweh, do you have a mental disorder? He's actually saying, not that you're absent-minded, but I see an absence of your mercy in my life. He's wondering why God hasn't acted yet. And so when God forgets, he doesn't engage in a certain action biblically, but when he remembers, it's because he does. God, do you remember Long Island or have you forgotten us out here? God, do you remember California? Do, do you remember, have you forgotten about South Africa? Have you forgotten about London? Have you forgotten about me? And then Christ his own Hebrew mother, who would have been well acquainted with this word, Zahar. She becomes pregnant with the magnificent, the Savior, Emmanuel. And she says in Luke chapter 1, verse 45, He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She would know that growing inside of her, in her very womb was the incarnation of divine remembrance in the son who would act to save us all. We're watching Rome use us, abuse us. We're watching the Pharisees distort the image of God and misinterpret scripture for their own means and we're being taken advantage of and it would seem as if we're forgotten, but this baby inside my womb represents his remembrance. Some of you are pregnant with purpose right now and you feel it kicking inside of you because the Lord remembered. 
the Lord remembered some of you should have stopped singing because you're on worship teams where you were used and abused, but there's still a song that's coming out of you like a songbird in the morning that no one tells to sing, but it's been destined and programmed to sing. And so the song persists through the pain because God has remembered. He has remembered. And some of you are like, I don't even know why I joined V1 Church because where I come from and how I've been abused by pastors. But see, the Lord has remembered you and healed your wounds. And like Pastor Eddie said the other day, now the scars are on my back, but no longer in my heart. Come on, so I can actually step forward into my purpose because there's this portal of mercy that's opened when God remembers. When he remembers the hair, when he remembers. And I feel like there's many of us who have been like, something's not adding up. Pastor Mike, I'm tithing and I'm giving to the church and I'm budgeting my finances to put him first. Pastor Mike, I'm pushing aside the plate and fasting and my family is still lost. Has he forgotten me? Pastor Mike, I've been struggling with this pain in my body and I just keep going from specialist to specialist, but the only thing that they seem to specialize in is bad news. And I just feel forgotten. I feel like it always happens for someone else, somewhere else. When here, when now, when me. Zahair, the Lord has remembered. Rachel, the barrenness of her womb. Why is everyone else gonna have a baby before I have a baby? Have you forgotten me? God, when he remembered, opens her womb. Abraham, living with integrity, uncompromised before the Lord, and Lot's only looking out for himself, being selfish, and he's just taking and taking and taking. Some of you are living with people, it just feels like they take and they, they take and they take, and it's like, God, when do I receive the promise that you gave me that my descendants will outnumber the stars? And then God remembers and even a separation becomes necessary for a blessing. See, there's something that's transacting right now, globally, all over the world. There's pieces that are being moved like this immaculate chess game where God is just strategically moving and you've seen pawns go down around you, but I'm just gonna tell you that the king is ultimately going to win and some of you have not been able to see from your perspective down below what is being transacted on the board up above, but I can just tell you right now that God does not have a mental disorder. He is not a twisted God. He's not a God who tortures people. He's not a villainous God like the atheists and agnostics who try to debunk the Holy Scriptures would love for you to believe. He's a loving God. His mercy endures forever. He's a God that loves us with an everlasting love. He's a God that provisions our saving. He's a God who will allow us to go through some suffering to make us more like Him. But He's a God that ultimately in the end determines that we win. And even though we've seen some pieces drop and move in a way that we wouldn't move them doesn't mean that his ways are still not higher than our ways and his thought are not higher than our thought but I wish somebody would know that God has remembered you there's things that were promised to you that never came to you from man but that doesn't mean that God won't use another man to deliver when he remembers you
Why not me, God? You said in the word you're no respecter of persons, but it would seem as if some people have a favor that's greater than mine. Until you're remembered. Until you're sitting on the front porch of the local church and your mom comes pulling up with a van and suddenly you've become the center of attention. And there's some people who have felt forgotten that God's getting ready to pull up with chariots of fire. <laughs> there's some people who have been hidden through long seasons of hiddenness, developing. You know, David said, God, you've taught my fingers to fight and my hands to war. He was being trained in hiddenness, but he embraced the hiddenness. And when he said, God, if you don't change my assignment, I'm gonna change my heart about my assignment. And I'm gonna be faithful in hiddenness. And then guess what? God always sends somebody to remember you. They bring all the brothers out. And then the prophet says, oh, I've been training for many years in the temple. Since I was a boy, I learned how to hone the voice of God. And Samuel said, you can tell me there's no more, but I hear the Lord telling me there's somebody in hiddenness that I have remembered. I have remembered David. I have remembered David. Come on. And they said, bring him out. Joseph in prison said, God, you gave me the dream. So remember me. The cupbearer will be the device that you use, but you'll be the one that gets glory. See, God's going to use some people to bless you financially, but just know it's coming from God because God remembered you. Look, look God's going to put you in position, and they may retweet you. They may post your content. They may build your platform, but know that promotion doesn't come from man. It comes from God because he remembered you because you remembered him. This is how movements are started, and I want to say this. When you choose to remember God, Zahir, I'm going to attach action to, oh, I feel the anointing. I'm going to attach action to my remembrance. And so when the, when the offering's being taken at the church, I don't give. I, I just want to say this so everybody can hear. I don't give because I feel like I'm living under the law. I give cheerfully because I, come on, do you hear where I'm going with this? Zahir, I remember where I was. I remember how much my alcohol addiction cost me financially. I remember how much I spent on clothes to prove that I had significance. I remember how much I would pay for a vacation to try to find some kind of peace of mind. And I willfully give all that I have to God because I remember and remembrance is not something you pull a file out of a memory. Remembrance is when you connect an action to the memory. And every single time there's an offering taken up at V1 Church, I don't give because I'm the lead pastor. I give because I Zahir. I remember, I remember, I remember where he took me from. I remember that my feet were in the miry clay. I remember that I was in sinking sand. I remember that it was up over my neck and I was drowning in my own anxieties. And he pulled me up and picked me up out of the miry clay and put my feet on solid ground. And so I remember him in my finances. When I'm walking down the street and I see one of his beloved lost sheep 
and I'm so I'm so bound up in my own fears about whether I evangelize to them I remember that I needed a word from somebody once I remember that I needed a word from somebody I remember that I felt so confused and so lost that if anybody told me Jesus loved me that would be enough for me to turn from my wickedness I remember and so I evangelize all throughout Queens and my neighborhoods because I Zahar. I remember, I remember, I remember. Some of you have got to go back. Remember. I want to show you guys something. I'm almost done. Because we're going to start this new series called Movement Makers. Because I believe that the Jesus Movement 2.0 is global. The first Jesus Movement was across the United States. It minimally impacted the nations. The second one's gonna be global. And I believe you're the movement makers. You're the movement makers. See, the Lord was trying to tell me he's remembered, he's remembered. Do you guys know that almost 100 years plus to the day, today, the Azusa Street revivals happened? And I just wanna take you through a brief history of revival awakenings that have happened. Because I actually believe that we are going to be a movement-making church. And I actually believe that it is our destiny to spearhead this movement. Does anybody believe that? And, and I, be I believe that we are here for that. And I believe that some of the names of the leaders and the people in our church will be immortalized in history if the Lord tarries and doesn't come back because you're a movement maker. So the revivals of 1905 and 1906 the word of the Welsh revival of 1904 and 1905 into 1906 spread to Welsh-speaking settlers in Pennsylvania. In the late 1904, coming out through those next couple years, and revival broke out. So it went from Welsh-speaking settlers that came to Pennsylvania. In 1904, and revival broke out. By 1905, local revivals blazed in places like Brooklyn, Michigan, Denver, Nebraska, North and South Carolina, Georgia, watch this, Taylor University, Yale University, and Asbury College in Wilmore, Kentucky. Billy Sunday, who became a key figure about this time, preached to more than one million people, come on, with just as many conversions. Then, that is going on in the East Coast. At the same time, in 1906, on the West Coast, the Azusa Street Revival, in 1906, William J. Seymour, an African-American holiness pastor who was blind in one eye, went to Los Angeles to candidate for a pastoral job. So he wanted to become a pastor and he showed up for this job. But after he preached, he was locked out of the second service because they didn't like his first service sermon. So he obviously didn't get the job. So he said, I'm gonna begin a prayer movement and he went to a nearby home and the spirit of the living God, which they called the second blessing, fell after many months of, of, of prayer in that place. And eventually, these interracial crowds, which was very unusual at that time, became so large that they acquired a dilapidated Methodist church at 312 Azusa Street, where daily meetings continued for three years straight. How's that for not getting the pastor job at the dead church? The resulting Pentecostal movement and later the charismatic movement, which both exploded globally in the 20th century, 
they both trace their, re- their roots back to a pastor who was blind in one eye who didn't get the job that he came for but started a prayer movement instead. Then the post-World War II awakening occurs in 1947 and 1948. Pentecostals experienced two strands of an awakening. One was called the Latter Rain Revival and the other the Healing Revival. It was at this time that a great generation of Christian leaders emerged. Bill Bright began Campus Crusade for Christ and then in 1949, Billy Graham's distinguished career, which popular, popularized evangelical Christianity for a new generation, exploded on the scene. Watch this. During a Los Angeles crusade sponsored by the Christian Businessmen's Committee. And so God connected the entrepreneurs and the business people with the evangelists and the pastors, and a movement was born. And of estimated 180 million people attended his nearly 400 crusades, and millions more viewed it on television. Came out of post-World War II, now watch. Then, the charismatic renewal and the Jesus movement During the late 1960s and early 70s, more revivals of national scope developed. The widely publicized Jesus movement emphasized turning from drugs and sex and radical politics to taking the Bible at face value and finding Jesus Christ as personal savior. Not surprisingly, this revival spread to college campuses, most notably the 1970 Asbury College Revival in Wilmore, Kentucky. Within a week, the revival had spread through the entire nation in one week. Now, what I wanna tell you is that on average, a great awakening and a revival occurs every 40 or 50 years. And what you may not realize is that all of the conditions that we've encountered in the last year and a half and all of the conditions culminating to those conditions are opening up a portal of mercy where God is getting ready to declare, I remember your generation. I remember your generation. And when this happens and a movement is birthed, I'm telling you, I believe that you're gonna have a choice. Do I participate or do I watch in the sidelines? But God is giving you an opportunity to say, I know it's real. I've seen too many healings. I've seen too many demons cast out. I've heard too much of the word. I've seen too many transformed lives of drug addicts, prostitutes, pimps, and everybody in between. I've seen too many things, and I'm just jumping in head first right now. Guys, do I have a few minutes to give you the characteristics of a spiritual revival? Do I have a few minutes? Because when I read the characteristics, you're gonna realize that you are here for this movement. You are here for this awakening. You are here for this renewal. You are here for this revival. And you're about to find out why you got fought so hard. It's not because of you. It's because the one who implanted something inside of you is hated by the enemy, but you're about to know the why. Number one, timing. Revivals emerge during times of spiritual and moral decline, which leads to very intense prayer. When Lil Nas X can take a stripper pole journey from heaven all the way to hell, when, and then the follow-up to that is Saturday Night Live. Come on. Literally mocking God, lap dancing God on, with over 19 million viewers. 
See, that's not, hey, you have free speech in America to do whatever you want. But I find it funny that that doesn't happen to Muhammad. I find that funny that it's Christians. And so when you're in moral decline, when anything could be made fun of, when anything can be, when, when you just, when you lose common respect and you dehumanize people, when you have the bullying culture that we have, when you have the ability to slander to somebody and deface them in the way that they do, revival is stirring in your midst. Number two is prayer. God puts a longing into the hearts of many people to begin to pray. You know, in the basement of the space at Westbury, I walked past the bathroom and I heard a noise and I begin to get closer to it. And I had this powerful moment, there's a small little door and I walk past the door and I see our prayer team in the basement of the space at Westbury, New York and they are just praying with such intensity. Every Sunday morning I wake up to the same message and it's our prayer team saying, I am so excited to join with you on the Zoom to pray today. Here's who's hosting it and there's an intensity of prayer. Number three, the word. The preaching or reading of God's word brings deep conviction and desire for Christ. People hunger and thirst for scripture. They want the word like never before. And as that intensifies, then you know that you have the conditions for a movement. Number four, the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit takes people to a spiritual depth that they could not achieve on their own. Oh, I love seeing people come to V1 Church and they're like, oh, I knew it was real. I knew something was missing. I've been doing Bible studies my whole life, but I never met the Jesus of the Bible through the Holy Spirit until now. I love those stories. Number five, conviction. Affected sinners are inconsolable except in Christ. I think for a long time we've tried to people please people. We've tried to reassure them, well, Jesus loves you no matter what you do. Yeah, his love endures through what you do, but see, the power of the gospel is that you are free to no longer return to those actions. And the word repent is not the same as confession. Repent means I'm, I am full of resurrection power to turn and walk the other way and be free from shame and never have to do it again. And see, when you know that there's a revival in the midst of you, there's a conviction. Affected sinners are inconsistent and Christ is the only solution for their sin. And I can tell you this much, we have the conditions right now where people can try anything, any drug, polyamorous relationships, any form of sexuality, pornography, and the more we try, the more inconsolable we become because we're like, this isn't working. They said I would be happy, but I took the pill and I'm still not happy. They said I would be satisfied, but I have the relationship and I'm not satisfied. And all it's doing is narrowing all the options down to a living Jesus. And they're inconsolable. We had a young woman that was down on the ground she literally fainted. You know, I say when two powers meet, the lesser power falls. And sometimes when people meet the power of God, they just fall under that power. But she, you know what? She was crying out, and it was so powerful. She was saying, forgive me, God, for having sex with men. Forgive me, God for having sex. She was literally crying out inconsolably because she was being restored to right relationship with God. And I will tell you this, condemnation doesn't produce that. 
only the love and the conviction of the Holy Spirit who says, I have a higher way and you are now getting on a narrow path and I'm gonna take you on a journey to become more like me. There's something about conviction. Number six, glory for God. God receives praise, honor, and glory for bringing the results that happen and nobody steals the glory from him. We all are well acquainted with our own weakness and we know it's not him, or not us, it's him. Number seven, reformation and renewal. Revival produces lasting fruit. It's not a conference. It's not a church camp. It's not something that you just walk away from. It affects you so profoundly that it produces marriages that never go into divorce. It produces people that never relapse back into addiction. It has fruit that remains. New ministries are founded and society experiences a reform of morals as more and more people begin to convert to Christ. Number eight, manifestations. Unusual manifestations begin to occur, like fainting, groaning in prayer, miracles, people driving out from different states, palpable hunger, manifestations begin to happen. How many of you have begun to see that happen at V1 already? Number nine, I'm almost done. It's messy. It's messy. One of the hallmarks of, a, of an awakening is that it's controversial. It's, it's like controversy swirl about the miracles. Are they real or not real? Is, are things being done in excess? Maybe there's suspicions, maybe there's theological disputes, but none of those things stop people from getting saved and free and the movement spreading like crazy. So I'm all right with a little bit of controversy and for things getting a little messy for God to have his way. Is anybody else okay about that? It may not look like church the way that you grew up, but guess what? You are still in bondage even though you were raised in that church. Can we get free even though it looks different than what you're used to? And there's people saying, oh, there's just something about being in the room. You can't replace church. And no, listen, there are some people watching globally right now that cannot get to a physical location. And I know that God is just as real in your living room as he is in a physical location. So this revival may not look like what we're used to. It may be a new wineskin, but it is going to be global and it's going to be stadium Christianity. And then number 10, this is so important. It's cyclical. Revivals inevitably crest and they decline. And then after some time, the wave begins to form again. And there's a wave that's forming right now. It's cresting. There's a wave that's forming right now. Listen to me. Some of the people that you counted out are going to be the ones leading it. Some of the misfits that you thought are, have been disqualified are going to be some of the main features. Some of the places that you didn't think it'd ever happen in is where it's going to happen. Because God has templated that for a massive movement, he'll use a blind preacher who didn't get the job and got locked out on a second surface. He'll use everyday common people who keep saying yes. And they say, God, I remembered you. Will you remember me? And when he remembers, he begins to open up that mercy. Let's pray right now. I just feel this so deeply in my spirit. If you think you're here just to do 
the things that you're currently doing. I think about Amy Simple McPherson. I think about Catherine Kuhlman. I think about Smith Wigglesworth. I think about these people that were plumbers and mothers and just everyday people. But God met them at a place where he began to do things in their life they couldn't take any credit for. You know, today Christianity is prevalent, but it's not powerful. Christianity is prevalent, but it's not powerful. You know that you have a great awakening that's about to occur when Christianity becomes less prevalent, but more powerful. And all the data is coming out about how church attendance is in the decline. And we're becoming increasingly secular. You know what I say? Let Christianity become less prevalent because the only thing that's decreasing and prevalencing is our programming, not our power. Father, release your power right now. I feel an impartation. Release your power right now. Movement makers movement makers to carry the torch of a revival in their neighborhoods in their home to carry the, the torch of revival we are going to pray without ceasing i wish somebody would stand up from their seat right now and just get indignant right now come on let the boldness of the holy spirit stir up inside of you i wish that somebody would say i'm going to keep praying until he remembers until i see his remembrance like joseph if it takes two years i'm going to pray for two years i'm going to start letting a conviction of the holy spirit well up inside of me. Come on, I wish you would begin to press in with me right now. Wherever you're at around the world, if you're watching right now, I want you to call it out. Call it out. What are you believing for? I'm believing for a day, Aaron, where there's going to be too many people getting baptized on Long Island that we can't even keep up with it, and there's not going to be enough pastors to even keep up with what we're going to see in this region. Does anybody believe that? I'm about to get indignant right now. New York City is God's city. New York City is God's city. It's the crossroads of the world. And we're going to raise up with a prayer movement that will not be silenced. Come on. I want to I want to have a boldness and a stubbornness inside of me that says that Christianity may be prevalent, but it's not powerful. But we're going to access the power now in this season. Father, we just pray right now across every watch party. Come on, lift up your voices in Indiana. Come on, we got four houses full of people in Indiana right now. Just begin to press in right now. Just begin to push further in right now. Come on, I'm talking to somebody in North Carolina. I'm talking to somebody in South Carolina. Come on, play that out, Aaron. God's just anointing you right now. Come on, let's build it up in this place. There's somebody in Texas right now that was born in religion, but you're a movement maker. We're going to lay it all down. The first century church, they gave everything to see the movement birth. This time we push all of our chips into the center of the table. We're cashing it all in. We're going to sell homes. We're going to literally sell vehicles. We're going to cash in stocks and bonds. We're going to do whatever it takes. We live for this. We die for this. 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 Pushing aside everything, come on, that has hindered us in this moment. 
everything that so easily entangled us in this moment. I am more than my job. Somebody yell that out right now. I am more than my job. You are not here to work your job. You are here to work a movement. And the way you work a movement is by praying without ceasing. The way you work a movement is by pushing in until he remembers. God, remember us in Chicago. God, remember us in Chicago. God, remember us around the world. Come on, guys, 20 more seconds. 20 more seconds. Father, we're willing to be a fool for you now. We're willing to be a fool for you, God. We're willing to be a fool for you right now, God. We're will reckless abandon. God, put in us a reckless abandon. Put in us a reckless abandon. The, the dividing line is separated. The dividing line is separated. The dividing line is separated. I have remembered. I have remembered. I have remembered. Remembered, remembered, remembered. God, I pray that evangelists, Generation Z evangelists with double the power of Billy Graham begin to rise up on TikTok begin to rise up on Instagram. Gen Z evangelists to bring in a billion soul harvest begin to teach through every platform under the sound of my voice. Oh, release them, God. I pray that worship services start happening on beaches and people that don't get scheduled on planning center have been scheduled by their passion because passion will schedule you when planning center doesn't schedule you. I pray that, that revival starts breaking out on beaches, that 15-year-olds start playing their guitar until demons begin to tremble on every corner and block. Come on, Gen Z. This is your moment. The Bible says don't despise the youth. Come on. I'm, I'll get out of the way. Come on. You don't need a microphone. The Holy Spirit gave you a megaphone called the internet. Use your voice. Rise up. Come on. I see. Do you see it, Dylan? Use your camera to capture the miracle so that they can't tell this generation they didn't happen. Use your camera to capture the miracles so that they can't tell this awakening that they didn't happen. I'm down for some medically verifiable miracles. Am I right, Evan? I, I, want, I want to see some stuff that they can't deny. Let me talk to my generals. In the last days, I will pour out my spirit among all flesh. Woo! And your old men will dream dreams. God's generals are rising up. God's generals are rising up. Smith Wigglesworth retired from a, as a plumber and then started his destiny as a global revivalist. Some of you are about to quit a job and start your destiny. You're about to retire and then you're from a job and you're about to start. And God is going to release a supernatural extension of years on your life. He'll hold the sun still till it happens. You think diabetes is going to get the last word for your life? You think cancer's going to get the last word on your life? The calling that's on your life is so much more significant than the, than the cancer, than the thing that's on you. I wish you'd rise up and let the devil hear your roar. This is a million person movement. This is not about a celebrity pastor. This is not about one voice, one name. Baby, you just joined the choir and we need every voice in every section. Come on, this is a multinational, multiracial movement. And we need you to be you at V1 Church. We need your voice. We need you to be you. 
We need you to be activated. Come on, just can I get like two, two more seconds? God, right now, activate them. I'm just trying to cultivate the waters of revival right now. I'm an agitator. I'm an agitator. Come on, fight back. Come on, stop taking hits and sitting down. Fight back. The Lord has remembered us. Come on. The great host of witnesses are watching you with holy jealousy. They're saying, I wish I could be there for this. And we're saying, no, Seymour, no, Smith, no, Catherine Coleman. No, 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 you, you can't be a part of this. You had your turn. I'm here. It's my turn because I, my trip to the grocery store became lethal to the devil, devil right now. Come on. I, I can't. Listen, no holds barred. No holds barred. No holds barred. And you know what? We're coming into warm weather. I don't know if you guys can see this prophetically, but the gates are opening. Who sees it? The gates are opening. The gates are opening. The gates are opening. The gates are opening. Books are about to be written. Songs are about to be published. The gates are opening. Father, we thank you right now for what you did today in this message. They're going to make fun of a watch party in your house. But they're not going to make fun of marriages being restored. They're going to make fun of you for raising your hands to an invisible God until they watch you prosper even as your soul prospers. They're going to make fun of you when they find out how much you give to the church until the church becomes the saving of nations and solves problems that politicians are pretending to solve. They're going to make fun of you they're not going to be make fun, making fun of you when they're bowing next to you on judgment day where every tongue will confess and every knee will bow. And I'd rather submit and surrender now. I'd rather worship now. I'd rather get in now. I'd rather do it now. Even Satan knows scripture. I want to know the one who they call Jesus. And I want to bring him into every place, every room, every hospital. I'm believing that the greatest healers are not going to be medical sciences, but it's going to be nurses that are in the ward saying, I probably shouldn't do this, but I release the healing virtue of Jesus upon this lifeless body before you write that death certificate. Rise up! Rise up! Oh, I'm telling you, if you guys can see what I see, I see it! I see it! And now we're getting ready to live what we've been seeing for so long. I believe it in every fiber of my being. I believe it in every fiber of my being. And Father, I thank you that we're going to see it. <laughs> oh Lord, you are victorious. You reign supreme. We will forsake family members. If, if they don't know you and don't understand you, God, we're going to stop trying to convince them. We'll walk this walk right now. We'll walk this walk right now. God, we will, forsaking all others to be in unity with you, God. Oh, Father, seal this word in our heart. Seal this word in our heart. 
In Jesus' name. Come on, can everybody just say, let it be so. Let it be so. Aaron, can you just sing for a second? Just kind of like, just lead us in song. to pray wherever you're watching this right now he's still doing something let him minister to you create a space for encounter right now Thanks for sticking around all the way till the end. Man, I'm telling you, already we are seeing this movement stir up. Here's what I want you to do right now. Download the V1 Church mobile app, and I want you to join a connect group. Meet some of these other movement makers all around the world via Zoom. Make some new friends. And as always, consider partnering with us financially. I'm telling you, every dollar you give is helping us reach people with the gospel. So you can tap give in the mobile app and give there as well. I love you and I can't wait for you to hear next week's message.